0: You're listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. There's lots of seats up here in the front row with these cool people, because they're cool. If you, if you need a seat, lots of room up here. But you have to be cool like these people. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Um, it's, it's a greeting. It's Paul, Paul says, Paul... Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, who we think maybe uh, wrote transcribed the letter and Paul dictated it, and then it says to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who are called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then he gives thanks for the Corinthian church. And then look at verse ten. So right after greeting, he makes a greeting, says, uh, "You guys are cool." Thank God for you. And in verse 10, he makes his first appeal. He's going to slam the Corinthian church later. But first, he just starts off with an appeal. So listen to this appeal. Verse 10 of chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So Paul has this heart for the Corinthian church. Um, that there be no divisions among them because he doesn't like divisions and he's going to rebuke that he's going to slam them later in verse or chapter 11 we're going to get to that but today we are going to talk about we're, we're continuing our series on corinthians and we're going to talk about community this morning and how important that is for the church so let's open with a prayer this morning god we do thank you for community god we thank you for the mill sunday school that we can come together and study your word and join with other people that, that also have a heart and a passion to know you personally, to know more about you, to know you, God, and experience you. So God, we praise you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come together, to be in community with one another. God, we praise you. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. And everybody screamed? Amen. Amen. Did you know that eagles make really big nests? Eagles make like five foot in diameter nests. And they start off with these, like these big sticks and uh they're sharp and they kind of keep everything together and then they like wedge uh with their beaks they wedge sharp sticks or sharp sticks in and then sharp stones as well to form the foundation of this big nest and then they'll use like thorns and kind of wrap it together and hold this big nest apart together and then and then they'll take feathers and fur from some of the animals that they killed and wool and stuff and make a bed for the eggs and so you got this picture of this big eagle's nest and so there's little baby eggs in there then the eggs hatch and the little eagle chicks come out and eagle chicks are getting bigger and stronger and mom and dad eagles uh they go out and they get fishes and little rodents and things and bring them back and then the baby eagles can eat them and so it's this you know this precious picture of nature happening right and then so at some point, the uh, the baby eagles are ready to go on their own. They're ready to go hunt. They're ready to fly. They're ready to leave the nest. And so you know what the mom eagle will do? She will stir the nest up. She will the, all that All that fluffy feathers and the wool and the fur, she'll stir it up with her big talons and rip it apart, kind of throw it out. And so the little chicklets that are now ready to go out into the world, it's it's uncomfortable for them to live in the nest, right? They're kind of sitting on thorns now instead of furry nice little bedding, right? Why am I telling you that? Cuz I want to stir the nest of your spiritual heart right now. I kind of want to make it just, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of you are in here, the Mill Sunday School, because you've kind of, you know, at one point in your Christian walk, you were getting fed. Someone was bringing you delicious fishes and all you had to do is sit in the nest and eat. And you came to church to totally just be fed. And there's a season for that in your life. But as you as you grow and you learn to fly, you need to hunt and eat really big meals. And so for a lot of you, that's the reason why you come to the Mill Sunday School, to eat really big spiritual meal, meals to get fed. And um, I just want to encourage you to keep coming to Sunday school, but maybe maybe some of you um, are, are getting fed, and, you're, and you are fed, and you're a strong Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, and I would encourage you to look for opportunities to serve. There's a lot of them around here. I want to introduce uh, Jeremiah Parks. He's a really cool dude. He's over the Tag Ministries, and uh, he has an opportunity for us to help uh, the tag student. So your nest should be getting stirred. Do you feel it? I feel it.
1: I feel it. That, that's an excellent story, Joe. Yes. I, nature Nature Joe. It's good. Um, yeah, my name's Jeremiah Parks. I'm the associate youth pastor here at New Life Church, Tag Student Ministries. And I just want to tell you guys about an opportunity we have to get involved. Maybe s- stir your nest up a little bit and uh, sit on some thorns. Um, we have, on, on Wednesday nights, TAG meets, and that's our, our junior high and high school program, meet together. And, uh, and every week we just come together, study the Word, worship. A lot of you guys probably know John Egan. He's the worship pastor for TAG. And, um, you know, I... For a lot of you guys, it probably wasn't too long ago that you were in high school, at least that you can remember it, maybe two, three, four, five years ago. I know for, for Joe and for myself, it's getting to be fuzzy <laughs> memories yeah, of that's true. long ago. But uh, that's so true. if you remember what it was like for you when you were in high school, maybe maybe those were some of the harder days. Or, or, or think back to junior high. That's, do, do all you guys agree that junior high is like one of the scariest times of life, isn't it? Great. Um you're like transforming, and it's really weird, and, and you sound weird, and you stink, and you know, it's awful. Um, so maybe junior high's not the area you want to go, but maybe you want to work with high school kids. But if you remember back to those days, you know, what was that like for you? And, and for a lot of you, maybe you didn't have somebody that was, you know, further along in their walk with God that could help uh, lead you and mentor you. Maybe you didn't have that. Maybe some of you did have that, and you'd like the opportunity to be that for someone else. So that's, what we, we, that, that's the opportunity for you guys to get involved. Um, we don't just want you to come to the meeting. That's one thing that you can do. But what, where we really focus with leadership is in actually mentoring and discipling high school kids. And so, if that's something that that would be of interest to you, I, I can give you all the details about it later. Um, actually, next Sunday, if you look, do you all have do you all have the Bulletin. handy little skillet? The
0: skillet, yep.
1: On the back of the skillet, there's an announcement about this. So if you want to take this home, stick it on your fridge or put it in your car, whatever, you'll see it. Pray about it this week. Say, God, is this something that you're leading me to? And next Sunday, right after the second service, in room 107 right over here where, where you guys used to meet for Sunday school. just It's on this hallway. Go to the right. Room 107 is where we're going to have that meeting. We will have lunch provided. And I just want to tell you real quick, kind of a couple of things that we're heading into this year, this school year with TAG. Some things that God started doing in us over this last year and over this summer that we're continuing. One is um, the Lord's really put it on our heart to have... A, a prayer group on every campus in the city, every high school campus in the city. And so that's going to be student-led, but we're really pushing for that. And how many of you guys were here for uh, the first desperation meeting? Did you hear Pete Gregg speak? Did any of you guys hear that? It was amazing. Hey, Bill. How you doing, buddy? And, um, and so he, he spoke about prayer and the power of that, and that really stirred us up the, and felt like the Lord was calling us to do that. So we're going to be starting prayer on every campus. And then also, a, a big thing that God's been doing in us is uh, really putting on our hearts to care for orphans in the world. And so uh, last year, TAG, in, in a matter of eight weeks, raised $67,000 without any fundraising, just giving offerings um, that they worked for on their own, and they, they gave in these offerings $67,000 in eight weeks, That was matched by a businessman here in the church, and we built four orphan homes in Uganda and Kenya with that money. And so uh, at Desperation Conference, David Perkins kind of threw that out to Desperation, and we raised enough money to build three more orphanages through the two conferences. And so we're continuing on that. We have a vision to spread that to every youth group in the country, and we have a goal to build 1,000 orphan homes um in 1000 days and so that's starting here soon and so um that's that's what we're doing with tag that's the vision that's where we're running it's amazing to see how the care for orphans has has connected with our high school and junior high students so if you want to be a part of something like that come get involved with us uh, we really believe that mentoring it's it that's really what where true discipleship happens it when, it's when you're sitting down with a leader, with some friends, and you're talking about the Lord. You're opening the word. You're talking about life. And so if you want to be a part of that, come on next Sunday right after second service in room 107 over here in the World Prayer Center. Love to see you there.
0: Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeremiah. Good opportunity. If you, if you're newish to the Mill Sunday School, just a couple more announcements. You could fill out this card. We have these on a lot of the tables. You could fill this out and bring it to the back table. We'd love to meet you. And we got a, a free CD for you to have. And uh, one more, the final announcement is that in September, the New Life Church services are the time is changing. Did you guys hear about that? Did you know that? And so they're moving to later. And so. To the praise of our Lord in heaven, Sunday school will start a little later. Wanna be glorious? And so the time that it'll, so n- not till September, but I just want to announce it because I'm excited about it. Is we'll start in the sept- middle of September, September 13th, I believe, is when it changes. Uh, we'll start at 10 instead of 9:30, 9:45. And so just saying Sunday school starts at 10 is like, oh, I could do that. I could get up and be here by 10. 9:45, nah. 10. Yeah. I mean so it's gonna be it's gonna be huge. People will not have an excuse anymore. I mean you all are here, but you know, think about all the other people who are like, Oh yeah, I'll be at Sunday school. They're not here. They're sleeping. Guaranteed. Anyways, those are your announcements. If you're ready to study the word of God, say I'm ready. ready. All right, we're gonna be continuing to look at the book of Corinthians. Last week we studied uh, uh, heresy and false teaching and, and Paul's Paul writing to the Corinthians says, you know, make some strong warnings against heresy and wrong teaching. We talked about hermeneutics. That's the study of the Bible, how we interpret the Bible and how doing hermeneutics well. uh, Because the Bible, remember the statement I I said last time, the Bible's not written uh, to us, but it's written for us. Do you remember that statement? We talked about how, you know, this book, Corinthians, was written to churches meeting in the city of Corinth, not to New Life Church 2009. Wasn't written to us, but it sure is written for us. And so, to correctly interpret it, to stay away from heresy, we have to know who the author is and the audience. And we talked a little bit about that. It's called hermeneutics. And um, this time, I want to get to this idea that that Paul has this heart for the church, for especially the church in Corinth, uh, because they had some divisions and paul hates divisions i think god hates divisions and and i don't know that we would call it divisions today but we might refer to it as clicks do you know what a click is anybody seen the movie mean girls They're like a ferocious group of little girls that are really mean and have a clique just for like social status and are really mean to all other girls that are not in their little clique. And so that's a really bad example of a clique. And I think sometimes churches can be accused of, oh, I went to, you know, so-and-so's church and I just felt like it was a bunch of cliques. And I think that is, that could be, you know, a modern day interpretation of, you know, some divisions. Divisions that that the church may have divisions within itself and i think paul is really uh rebuking the corinthians for something much worse than just clicks but i think our clicks today can be something that um are bad in churches and so i just want to open up with this uh get your minds thinking a little bit and and ask you a discussion question just briefly um to first of all kind of define click and then um well i'll I'll define it for you it comes from the french word to latch and so it's like people latched together and so that's 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 what kind of people that are grouped together but i want you so that's kind of the definition of a click but i want you to discuss when is a click bad and when is it not so bad i mean mean girls click that's bad but like a small group isn't that you know small groups are okay what makes a click or what makes a group something bad or something good are you ready to discuss that? Talk about that for like two minutes. And so get into little groups if you can and, and just briefly talk about that. Ready, get set, go. So, when are clicks good? When are they bad? But don't be a click, don't let your group be a click. <laughs> Try to wrap up in like a minute if you can your conversations. All right. Let's talk about it as uh, as a big group. If uh, we, we'll have mics, we got two dudes with mics who'll be uh, coming around, try to get their attention, and uh, stand up and share, if you will. I know Sunday school is a little big and maybe hard to publicly speak, but I mean, do it. Just do it. It's fun. I'm doing it. It's not that hard. <laughs> uh, but but share with us. Maybe your group talked about something good. And kind of answering the question: What is when are clicks good? When are they bad? Anybody? dealer (laughs) yes sir right here get to him quickly quickly all right well we just uh came to the conclusion that when the click is exclusive or not receptive to including others that's when it gets bad so when it's in exclusive inclusive what's the word Inclusive? I it's inclusive? it's inclusive, good. It's, it's good. It's good. So you can include other people, right. but it's exclusive, meaning like nobody else can hang out with us. We're too cool. Right. That's bad. Yep. Right. Did you, did you guys talk about that? That being a big point that, um, your group is either closed or open. Does anybody else want to share? What makes a group open or closed? Like, how, I mean, obviously if it's a club, it's closed, but Definitely. yeah, go right. ahead. Sure. Um, we kind of talked about like the purpose of the group, um, like if your person is, it's a positive purpose you know like for instance like you talked about like small groups that mm-hmm. are there to build people up and help people through like hard times you know in life or like for instance we also said like I don't like to build stuff like work with my hands so like if maybe you had like a group of buddies that like to go do like Habitat on the weekend or something like that it's uh-huh. a positive group however you also talked about like Mean Girls and like how they're destructive like that would not be a good group yeah yeah that's good so if your group is for so maybe it is a, is exclusive so you're a club of guys that do something, like fix things, but you're helping maybe uh, single moms in the community fix things, and is that a click? Well, it's exclusive, but you're doing good things. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Anybody else want to share? It's, it's, I mean, that's the, we hit on the big idea, which is this inclusive, exclusive thing. And I think within the social scheme of individuals, I think it's natural at the mill, or at Sunday school even, to, to find people that... Uh, you're friends with and to hang out with those friends. It's easy and you build good, strong relationships with those friends. But I think when you're mean about it and you have a group of friends and someone comes that doesn't have a group of friends and you're mean to them and you do not allow them to talk to you or for like social mean girl middle school stuff, um, that's bad. And so divisions in the church are something that Paul really talks against. And I would hate Um, if the mill or if Sunday school was accused of being, oh, I can't get connected there because it's just a bunch of clicks. And I haven't heard that. I used to hear that, um, you know, in in middle school, high school, uh, about referring to, you know, the the school itself, that it's hard to meet people because of all the clicks. And those are unhealthy. I think if a ministry or a church has these exclusive little groups that that socially don't interact with other groups, that is what, potentially what Paul's talking about when he says, don't divide yourself and exclude other people. And he gets into bigger ideas. He really rebukes the Corinthian church. We're going to look at chapter 11 in just a little bit. But I, I want to give you the background to Corinth and potentially the reason why there was such divisions. And so if you're taking notes, um, I'm going to explain... The background of corinthians and hopefully this will doing uh, studying a book of the bible in this way should um should make it so that you know you can never look at the book of corinthians the same again because i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about what was going on in corinth and if you know that then when you read the book of corinthians it'll it'll change your interpretation to fit in line with what was actually going on at that church and so it's very important. This what we're doing here is hermeneutics. So I don't want to overwhelm you with all these facts about the old city of Corinth, but I, hopefully it should encourage you. Hopefully you should get into the habit of, oh, I don't know what this passage means. Your mind should instantly just think, oh, I need to know what was happening at that time and why the author was writing to this audience in the social and cultural context of the time. And so if you're ready to study the Book of Corinthians, nod your head. <laughs> Let's look at, um, I don't know why I do weird things like this, I'm sorry. Uh, The city of Corinth was in the, so I'm going to talk about a timeline really quick. Uh, 300 to 400 bc so this is years before paul came to the city of corinth this is in the golden age of the the greece when aristotle and plato and cool people were around greece at that time the city of corinth is huge we talked last time about how uh, corinth was sitting east-west is like a narrow isthmus and so east-west were two ports Uh, Corinth sat it was a huge port city and and so someone going from Athens to Rome could take six days off of their journey and just go to Corinth and maybe make you know like a, a stop unload all your stuff and then someone else on the other side of the Isthmus would go to Rome the rest of the way and you'd split the the fee or whatever I don't know how exactly it worked but it it worked it was a port city and and north south if you wanted to go from north greece to south greece walking you had to go through corinth there's only one way connecting north and south greece and it was corinth so corinth is this massive big port city and in ancient greece 300 bc 400 bc it was this metropolis of a city it was this great city and then uh after the greek empire came what empire do you know the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire took over Greece, and they laid waste to the city of Corinth. They utterly destroyed it, burnt it to the ground, and then because it was such a a huge port city, they didn't want the Greeks rebelling, they made a law that said no one could live in Corinth. And so this is around uh, 146 BC. So 146 BC, the city was declared, uh, you cannot live there. And so all the people that used to live in Corinth had to go outside the city parameters and kind of set up shop. It was, I mean, the city was just laid waste in 146 BC. This is still lots of years before Paul would come. And so for 100 years, get this, I mean, just picture the city. Hopefully you're learning about, okay, why there could be divisions. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Paul, our, uh, the city was laid waste, nothing you weren't allowed to live there for 100 years. And then a guy named Julius Caesar in uh, 44 BC said, we could now rebuild the city. Let's rebuild the city of Corinth. And so for 100 years, there was nothing. You weren't allowed to live there. And so in 44 BC, Julius Caesar says, let's rebuild. So the cities got to be rebuilt. And then the cities uh, rebuilt with Roman architecture, Roman uh, government, Roman government, Roman laws. And so the city, by the time Paul gets there, the city was still being built. Uh, think about like, how they used to build things back then. They didn't have cranes or even trucks or power tools. It took a long time to build large buildings. It took a long time to build even your house. And so when Paul gets there around 50 AD, it's only 100 years after this city had been rebuilt. So are you picturing this now? It's a brand new city, especially in the ancient way of thinking things. It was you know, still being built. What was Paul's occupation? He was a missionary by day, but uh, at night he would do other stuff for money. Do you know what he did? He made tents. Can you see why Paul would spend a year and a half in Corinth making tents? Because people's houses were still being built. The city was still being built. People lived in, in tents while their house or while their their other buildings were being built. And so Paul lives here in Corinth for about a year and a half, building tents, hanging out in this relatively new city. And people that lived in Corinth hadn't lived there that long. Like there weren't people that were like, oh, my family owns, you know, this estate, and we've been there. You know, my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather, you know, built this estate, and we now live there. No, the city of Corinth was, was new. Everyone that was was in Corinth, was uh, non-natives. There was, like, nobody with, like, those native bumper stickers anywhere in Corinth because everybody was, nobody was a native. Everybody would, had just moved in. It's kind of like Colorado Springs. Like, how many of you were actually born here? Well, that's not the point. There's, like, a whole bunch of people. It's like, hardly anybody is the point. <laughs> um, so there was no natives in Corinth. So this the city where there's, there's an, like, just like every city, there's really rich people and really poor people, but the really rich people in Corinth weren't really rich because their families had royalty and had always been in Corinth. People were rich in Corinth because they made themselves rich. And so there was, I imagine, a lot of despise of the rich people to the poor people. that That, you know, we made our money through trading and mating, making wise decisions. And so you poor people, we can despise you because we were once there and all you need to do is work a little harder and then you could be rich like us. And so there was divisions in Corinth over how rich or poor you were. And and like I remember in uh, middle school, you know, not to bring up middle school again. Let's think about middle school. Brutal. Remember, you're like, my school was like first grade through sixth grade and then seventh grade was like a, a middle school freshman and those, that year was just brutal. And I remember being in eighth grade and how, thinking, man, those seventh graders are so dumb. <laughs> and I remember despising the seventh graders because I had just been there. And I remember uh, the first day of class as an eighth grader, our English teacher Uh, he kind of encouraged this and thought it was really funny. So like we were in English class but the bell rang for the 7th graders to go to lunch because the cafeteria wasn't big enough. And so the teacher walked over to the door, opened the door and all of us 8th graders just looked at the 7th graders walking by and made fun of them. (laughs) And it was awesome. We were like... (laughs) look, that one just tripped. Or like, look, look at that one. He, look how many books he has. Why does he have all those books? Seventh graders are so dumb. And we were just all sitting around and laughing and despising the seventh graders. And I imagine that, you know, because we had just been there and we're like, oh, we're not there anymore. So we could despise what we were. And so I imagine in Corinth, there was this, you know, we were once poor, but now we're rich. And so we can despise those that are now Poor. And so keep that in mind. I'm going to talk. So, so this idea of rich and poor in Corinth, keep that in mind. We're going to talk about something else right now, and then we're going to combine the two and it should be glorious. So Corinth, first Corinthians chapter 11, this is the rebuke that Paul gives. That's one of the strongest rebukes he gives in, in any, any of his letters um, he, he makes some pretty strong rebukes. Maybe this isn't the strongest, but it's up there. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. He's going to talk to them about the Lord's supper, about when they come together for a meal. And Paul's, Paul is, yeah, you just listen to it. You, you, you see if he's ticked or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 says, the following director's directives, I have no praise for you. So he's, he's, he's working up. He's a little ticked already, you can tell. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place. I mean, just think about that. Like if, imagine someone's criticism of New Life Church. Your, your guys' meetings do more harm than good. That's, whoa. Okay, I'm, you got my attention. I'm listening. And, and verse 18 says, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you to some extent I believe it. And then he talks about this, no doubt there has to be differences among you so which of you have God's approval. And I think there he's talking about there has to be differences, you know, if there's if there's sin in the church, then there has to be a division between, you know, a, a true Christian believer and someone, you know, judging the immorality that is within your church and saying, you know, you're not allowed to be at our church if you're going to continue doing this or whatever. So I think that's what he's getting at there. But that's another talk, which we will get to at another Mill Sunday School this month. But, anyways, verse 21. Uh, actually, verse 20. For when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For you eat it, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. Do you ever like, get to a restaurant and your food comes out first? And it's set down before you? Like just a couple weekends ago, uh, I was eating dinner with a buddy we'd spent all day fishing and so we were tired and we had this really big meal and my food came first and i was just like oh i'm gonna wait to your food kits here and we like minutes go by and i'm like oh, man i'm really hungry and so he says uh you could go ahead and eat your your meal's gonna get cold and and so i started eating and like we were both hungry and we'd been fishing all day and so he was just like in a like a glaze like a stare like a coma just like watching every single bite go to my mouth and then like down. And then every, he was just, it was so awkward uh, eating with him. And I just felt so bad. I'm like, man, I should wait till your food comes. He's like, no, 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 please go ahead and eat. Um, and and I, I was almost done by the time his food got there. And it was, I just felt so awkward. And Paul is saying that as a whole church, that's what the church, that's what's normal. For when you come together, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. You should feel bad if you're eating and chowing down and someone else is hungry and they're not eating. Don't you feel bad if you do that? I did. I felt bad last week. I mean, his his food was coming and I still felt bad. Anyways, and then he, he, he hits the nail on the head. One of you remains hungry. Another gets drunk. So this is church. This is church to them. Sounds like a killer church. A bunch of people are over here eating and getting drunk and a bunch of people over here hungry. What a great gathering. Man, it sounds like a wonderful picnic, doesn't it? Uh, Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who still have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And then he talks to them about what the Lord's Supper is going to be. And this passage is usually the one that's read whenever we do communion at New Life Church or pretty much any church. It's usually this passage that's read because Paul reminds them, here's the point of communion. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it and said, This is my body for for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he uh, gives a warning, which many churches interpret differently. But it says this, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And to talk about those verses, that verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And as a kid, I was raised Catholic. And I, uh, whatever I tell a catholic story i always preface it with i I know a lot of catholics that are really strong believers that are more of christians than some people that i know that aren't catholics that are new lifers anyways um so i love i i really have a, a respect for the catholic church i know some people are like oh the catholic church is horrible i have a respect i have a a sincere respect for the Catholic Church. But I would disagree with them on several points. They take that passage. Whoever drink drink eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And so the Catholic Church has all these rules and regulations about taking communion, about when they come together and take communion. Uh, Here's their rules. Uh, You must be in a state of grace. Whatever that means. Uh you must have made a good confession since your last mortal sin. So if you murder someone Saturday night, can't take communion. Gotta get a confession in first. Uh, You must believe in transubstantiation, which is important to the Catholic faith because they they would say that when you take the the wine and the bread, that that is literally Christ's body and blood. That's what that big word transubstantiation means. Uh, They, they, you know, we at New Life would say it's a symbol uh, of Christ's death, but the Catholic Church would say, oh no, it's it's literally. Christ's body and blood. It's, a, it's an interesting belief. Um, so that's the other rule. Another rule is you must observe the Eucharist fast, which says that you, you can't eat anything an hour before taking communion. And so when I was a kid, uh, we, we ate breakfast earlier so that when we got to church, to would still be an hour in between uh, taking communion. And so a lot of Catholics don't even have breakfast before Sunday so that they could have communion. And, and then that's why a lot of Catholic churches have like donuts and Kool-Aid Right after church, because people are starving to death, and the little bread and the little cup of juice didn't quite do it for them. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, and then finally, you must not be in, under any ecclesiastical censure, such as excommunication. <laughs> so, just in case you're wondering, excommunicate people cannot take communion in the Catholic Church, and and so the Catholic Church takes that verse and, and says uh, we must regulate who has communion because he, because Paul says whoever eats the cup drinks the bread in an unworthy manner will be sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And since they believe that the bread and the wine are literally Christ's body and blood, then they don't want that to be sinned against. And so they have all these rules and regulations. But I would say that the greater context of this passage is not about um, the little sip of juice and a little cracker i would say the greater context of this whole passage is coming together and sharing a meal in the first century church you know the idea of a little a little cup of juice and a little piece of bread um they didn't do that they did a whole meal they celebrated a whole supper a whole meal together and um what paul is saying is that when they're coming together they have this whole meal some people are eating first and some people are still left hungry, and they're calling this the Lord's Supper. And Paul really rebukes them. We re- we just read that passage; it's pretty strong. and And here's what was going on at Corinth: um, people, the people that were rich in Corinth, you know, like I said, kind of despised the poor people. and And rich people, if you're really rich, you get to sit around and do nothing all day. You have like servants. You watch TV. Play in the pool, right? You don't got nothing to do. And so if you wanted to have a meeting and invite all, you know, call it the Lord's Supper, have, have this weekly meal with a bunch of people, you could have that meal at maybe four o'clock. So I, I, you realize I'm kind of I'm putting this story in modern day terms. And so you could have, if you had a big meal at four o'clock, then all your rich friends that also didn't have to work could all come to the big meal at 4 p.m. But when do all the the working people or poor people get off of work? Well, maybe five o'clock. So by the time, so if you had a big meal, a big party, uh, and you called it the Lord's Supper, you're like, this is church, and you did it at four o'clock, had this big meal, but then the poorer people that had to work till five couldn't get there until after, you know, they drove home, took a shower, and then went to church, what kind of food would there be left? nothing left to be nothing or leftovers or like man it looks like you guys had a fun party here i'm still kind of hungry you know and we're talking like uh the ancient world where if you were poor that probably meant you had nothing but bread for weeks and weeks because you couldn't afford meat and and here paul is saying you know don't you have homes to eat in or do you despise the church and humiliate those who have nothing so the people that have to come later after, you know, the food's already gone, they're humiliated. They come in and there's this division between the church of uh, the, the rich and the poor. And Paul's saying, don't do that. He gives a very strong warning. And I think today's application of that is to realize that, uh, that cliques are unhealthy. I don't think there's, I mean, especially at the mill, I don't even know, you know, like the rich and the poor at the mill. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, how, how many of you are rich? How many of you are poor? It's like, who knows? Like, <laughs> like, you can't really just look at somebody and say, oh yeah, you're really poor, and like look at somebody else and be like, oh, he must be really rich because he's wearing a crown and has robes of... It's like, what? No, we we'd all just kind of dress the same, you know? It's not this big difference of... <laughs> and so I don't think it's wealth that divides the church. I'm sure it does, but I, I, don't, I don't see that at the mill. But I do see sometimes where... Um, where the beginnings of an unhealthy clique might be forming, where um, maybe maybe people that, you know, look the same are all hanging out, and they kind of, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't want to accuse the mill of this, because I really haven't seen it, but I have seen it in other churches where there's this feeling of, oh, that's the cool group, and, you know, we, we can't really hang out with them after church because we're not the, part of the cool group. Or, and I just think that's unhealthy. I think... It, to, to say it in another way, to say the reverse of it, when the church is welcoming, when the church is welcoming to new people, it is, it is, it is a miracle. It's beautiful that, that we as the church will just welcome in strangers, that we will take care of those that need to be taken care of. It's, it's a testimony to the world that, that we are united, that there are no divisions among us, that we aren't clicky, that we, we will welcome those that need to be welcomed. And um, I I just want to kind of end with a story of my own uh, life, I guess. And going back to middle school once again. A a little pause for middle school. Mm, That was brutal. (laughs) Anybody else not like middle school? It was brutal. Just going through the stage of life of like finding yourself and finding out what group you're in. And uh, it was brutal. And I remember I was... Some of you may see me as like this very outgoing, really fun uh, person. But in middle school, and I think God is really, you know... I think it was a lot to do with confidence. I believe God, Himself. when I became a Christian, God instilled me who I was in him and gave me a lot of confidence. And so I changed a lot in high school when I became a Christian. But before a Christian and in middle school, I was one of the shyest kids you'll meet. You know, I kind of ate lunch by myself. I was always wondering, like, what are people thinking about me? What are people saying about me? To, to me, a re- the really big deal with, with who was cool and who was uncool was what kind of clothes you were wearing. And so, you know, my parents weren't poor. They weren't rich uh somewhere in the middle and so i didn't have the nicest clothes but the cool kids all had the nicest clothes the nicest sneakers the nikes and the the air jordans back then remember those shoes they were awesome do you remember the reebok pumps like some of the kids in the cool group had the reebok pumps and they were just so cool and and my parents were no way we're going to spend over a hundred dollars on sneakers that i would grow out of in like a month um (laughs) but but the cool kids had the had the nice stuff you know, I was talking about, there were some really rich kids in my school and they hung out together and they were a clique. And I remember uh, in, in the cafeteria, I saw a kid that I knew that was sitting at the cool table. You know, maybe your school had the cool table and all the cool kids, the popular kids, the rich kids. And I remember walking by with my little tray and saying hi to this kid that I knew from class. I said, hey, how's it going, man? And he said, don't talk to me. This is my table. Your table's over there it's like, we just talked in in class. And and now he's being like this around his friends, and the whole table just laughed. And it was just like, everybody say, oh, it is. I mean, and especially, I mean, if it happened to me today, I'd just be like, what an idiot. But... (laughs) But like as a middle schooler, it destroyed me. And I just thought, oh, that is my place is over here. I, I am not like you. You are cool. You are popular. You are rich. And I am not a part of that. And I remember in, even, a, even on a soccer team, there was divisions among us in middle school. And I remember the soccer team, there was a bunch of these rich kids that, that played soccer. And, and uh, I wasn't one of those really rich kids. And so it all came down to what cleats you had and I got cleats. My parents bought me some sweet cleats from Walmart, and they, they did the job. They're just cleats, you know? You grow out of them in a year, and so my parents bought me Walmart cleats, but all the cool, all the popular kids had the Adidas Copa Mundial cleats, and they're sweet. You know what soccer, you know those soccer cleats? Everybody, they're awesome. They're like kangaroo leather, really soft. And Why you would buy your middle school kid like a $150 cleat? I don't know, but parents did it for their kids. And I remember going to the back of the bus and and just after a game, uh, because our game was uh, an away game. We took the bus and going to the back of the bus uh, for a game and, and sitting down and the kids in the back said, Joe, the back is reserved for the Copa Club, like the Adidas Copa Shoes Club. You can't sit back here. You have to go to the front of the bus. And I just remember, okay, going to the front of the bus. Like how like how unworthy I was, like how this distinction over, you know, how much money my parents made was such a line in, in my life, and it, it was who I was, and I had to go sit in the front of the bus with the, the other Walmart cleat kids, and I I mean, I mean, I laugh about it now, and I just think, oh, that's dumb, but like as a kid, like it was, it just, it just defined who I was, that I could not be part of the cool group that they were a clique and they were mean, but I wanted to be a part of them and I respected them, but it was, it was just bad. But I, here, here's why I tell that story. To get to the first time I ever went to a Christian youth group I walked into this Christian youth group. It was a high school youth group. I was in 10th grade. It was called Destiny, which is a pretty sweet name for a youth group, I thought. Um, and, and I go in, and there's the greeters at the door, and they're like, hey. And I knew one of them. They're like, hey, Joe, it's so good to see you. Welcome to Destiny. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, they were just so happy about it. And I thought, well, they're just being really happy. They're just being really nice. They're just welcoming me into their club, you know, because... They have to. It's their job as a greeter. So I sat down, and then uh, the youth pastor was like, meet somebody new around you. Is anybody new? And I was kind of like, I guess I'm new. And, and said, oh, everybody, meet some new people. And people came up to me and met me. And were like, hey, we're so glad that you're here. And I was like, really? Like, you don't even know? Why are you being so nice to me? Like, in my head, like, coming from this, like, self, very low self-esteem, kind of low self-worth, I was like, why, why are you joking me? It was back when the, like, the not jokes we're popular and so i in some ways i was waiting for like we're so glad that you're here not (laughs) and like i was like in my i didn't say that i just but i was waiting for it i there was i mean i was blown away was anybody else blown away the first time they went into a church with how nice people were like i almost thought like are you being fake are you just doing this because it's your job why are you being so nice to me why are you welcoming me into your group? I, I didn't get it. I was waiting for the, not. Nah, I was waiting for the, for somebody to say, yeah, just kidding. Uh, I, I was seriously waiting for that. I could not believe why everyone was being so nice to me. And the youth pastor talked that night. He announced that there were going to be, there's going to be a winter retreat. And then right after the group ended, people came up to me um, I said, Joe, you should come to the winter retreat. And I was like, really? Like, you really want me to go? I, c- I couldn't understand why they were being so nice, why they were, wanted me to go to their winter retreat. But sure enough, I, I, I was convinced by it. They're like, they want me to go to their winter retreat. And so I went to the winter retreat. That's where I gave my life to the Lord. And I just think it, it, my testimony has a lot to do with how nice, how welcoming the church that I first went to Was how important that is, that that there's a community that that holds us together, and I just think, you know, how important that is. That the mill, you know, the mill in this, you know, it seems like there's themes that come around New Life Church. I think last year, even on Brady's heart and in Big Church and at the mill, the mill fall retreat last year was called Pause. There was this theme last year of of sabbath of resting of learning god's timing not always rushing around but learning the timing of god and resting in god's presence And i think god's doing something new this year as i think about themes you know of Uh, Maybe I'm reading into it too much. I don't know. But I think uh, after this uh, series, Brady's and Big Church, Brady's speaking on Proverbs. After Proverbs, he's doing a series on the tribe of church. And I think he's actually considering writing a book about how, you know, the tribe of church, this community of church is so important. And then this year at the Millfall Retreat, the theme is belong. And we're going to talk about the community of the church. And so I think it's something that God is is kind of, say, it's this theme, and I, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I, it's, it's this definite theme that's going on at New Life Church right now, where I, I, th- I, could, I could say, that I think God is t- showing us something about community, and and just realizing how important it is to do it well, to be friendly, to, 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 that the word fellowship is, is an important word for Christians. It's, it's a word that, you know, is welcoming. We take care of each other. We know each other. We're we're friends. And so as we close today, I just want to close us in prayer and pray over us that that new people coming in, and maybe you're new sitting in here, um, that it would be a welcoming place, That that new life, that the Mill Sunday School, the Mill on Friday nights would have this have this feeling of like, as, as a high school student, when I first came to a church of almost like overwhelming people with how nice we are, how welcoming we are because it's a gift of God. It's, I think it's a miracle that we could show the world how united we are. So let's pray. God, we do thank you this morning for for community. God, I pray against divisions. I, I pray against anything that divides us as as Christians, divides us as Christians, that unhealthily, clicks us together and makes us exclusive. God, I pray for unity. I pray for unity all over New Life Church. Pray for it in the Mill, in the Mill Sunday School. God, that you'll use this group of people to be your light in the world, to be your community, to show the world how much we love each other, how we are united in faith, how we all have one heart and one mind for you, Jesus, that we may be united, God, as as you are united within the Trinity that we could have fellowship and community with one another that's rich and deep and and life-forming. So God, I pray for the richness of relationships in this room to increase, the the healthiness of of groups of people to increase. And God, we we do, we pray this in your name, Jesus, knowing how much you love a united church. So we love you and praise you this morning. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, in light of that, meet some new people you don't know, invite them to big church. And have a great day. Peace out.